When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Reality Radio for a really great future. We're talking real money. Hi, everybody. Don McDonald here. Another football preemption last weekend, which means that this week we'll have the special podcast, the Talking Real Money Quick version of the podcast. But good news, that was our last football preemption for 2018. I know it's almost over anyway. We will be preempted a couple of times for University of Washington basketball in the new year, but we can't avoid it. So we'll do these when we can't do those. And this week we have a topic that probably gets too much press, cryptocurrencies. I want to talk a little bit more about them and maybe eventually just put the whole stupid thing to rest, although I probably won't because... There are too many people who are madly in love with this concept. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Got a bunch of feature material. Phone calls, by the way, you can call anytime, 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. And I'll try to help you with anything that causes you some confusion or consternation that has something to do with money. So um, give us a call, 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. Let's start with cryptocurrencies, the most popular of which are Bitcoins, or is Bitcoin, or is it our Bitcoin? I don't know if that's plural. Last year, 11 months ago, almost exactly 11 months ago, cryptocurrencies were valued. The total value of all the money put into cryptocurrencies was just under $600 billion. That's a fairly large chunk of change, although to put that in perspective, the entire value of the U.S. stock market is about $30 trillion. So it was just a fraction of the value of stocks, but still a significant amount of money in these things. This is Bitcoin and Ethereum and all of those others. But here's the problem I've always had with Bitcoin. What is it? What is Bitcoin? You ask somebody, they'll give you some complex answer as it's a, you know, a means of exchange that uh, is not controlled by any particular government or organization. Yeah. There are really just a very few things that a cryptocurrency can be. The name, I guess, says the most obvious, which is a currency. But when you look at how its value rose in 2017 from just over $1,000 to almost $20,000 a Bitcoin, you have to think, and some people said, it, it's an investment. Or is it just a dumb speculation? Well, let's look at those three things. Let's start with an investment. What is an investment? An investment is something that in and of itself can become more valuable. A business 
can grow its earnings and therefore become more valuable. A bond becomes more valuable in essence because you are being paid interest for lending money to somebody. It's a wealth-building transaction. How does Bitcoin build wealth? I'll give you a minute to think about that. Correct answer is it doesn't. It can't, and it never, ever, ever will. The only reason it rises or falls in value is because people want it or they don't want it. There are more people buying it than selling it, or more people selling it than buying it. But it doesn't make money, doesn't create wealth. Is it a currency? It can't be a currency. As a matter of fact, KPMG, the giant accounting firm, has a currency test. There are three criteria that a currency must meet. It has to be a unit, they call it a unit of account, a store of value, and a unit of exchange. So they are a unit of account. A Bitcoin, for example, there are only going to be 21 million of them, supposedly. <laughs> Who knows? But again, you can, you can account for them. There's a place where they're accounted for. But are they a store of value? They're certainly not a good store of value. If you bought a $20,000 Bitcoin, 19000 and change, in December of 2017, you could have purchased a $20,000 car. Not a fancy car, but a get-you-around new car. Basic car, $20,000. In November of 2018, there is no new car that a Bitcoin will buy. Not a one. Well, maybe in India, but not in the United States. You'd be lucky to get a beater, a used car that wasn't in very great shape for your $5,500 or whatever it's worth. That's not storing value. If you earned a dollar last year and then you went to the store to get a dollar of something and they said, oh, I'm sorry, you can only have 55 cents of that. No, I take that back. You can only have 30 cents of that. Oh, you want to pay your, your $1,000 rent? Well, you're going to need three times the Bitcoin you needed last November. That is not a store of value by any stretch of the imagination. They're less stable than stocks, and nobody ever called stocks a currency. You don't go to the store and spend your mutual funds. So is it a currency? No, not on that score anyway. Now, can you use it transactionally? Yeah, some, but not universally. It hasn't been what KPMG's chief economist Constance Hunter calls it an institutionalized means of exchange. You cannot pay your taxes with it. Almost no individual accepts Bitcoin as payment. Very few businesses do. It's not a reasonable means of exchange. So it's not an investment. It's definitely not a currency. What is Bitcoin? Pure and simple, it's gambling. That's all it is. All of you who are playing the Bitcoin game, you're all a bunch of gamblers. Truly. Could your Bitcoin go back up? Sure it could. So could lots of things that were 
bad bets that you've made in the past. Could your General Electric stock go back up? Of course it could. But I'm pretty sure your Toys R Us stock is never coming back. Could Bitcoin go to nothing? Yeah, it actually could. If nobody wants it, people just decide it's of no value. It's of no value. So Bitcoin is pretty much nothing. And if it's pretty much nothing and it's the biggest player in the game, what are the others worth? Just to uh, update you, last December, all of the cryptocurrencies out there, again, worth about $590 billion. There were several articles in December of last year predicting that cryptocurrencies would become a trillion-dollar market in 2018, how wrong they were. As of the 19th of November, 2018, the total value of cryptocurrencies in the world is $167 billion. Actually, pretty much hardly worth talking about. Down 64% year-to-date from January. This is not a place any sane person would put their money. Give us a call if you have a question about money, life, and anything else involving bucks. 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255, and let's take a call. Hi, this is Carrie, and I want to start by saying that I really love the show and really love your advice. I've got a two-part question. The first is generic, and the second is more specific to my situation. Can you talk a little more in depth about REITs, and in particular, globally diversified funds holding REITs? I understand what REITs are, individually, that is, and it seems to me that much of their risk can be greatly reduced by this global diversification of having them in a fund. So my question's to you, what are the REIT-specific risks that I should be aware of before I start going down this path, and are they truly uncorrelated to the equities market or not? And what economic factors influence them as a composite that I should be aware of? Hey, Kerry, thanks for the call and the kind comments. Let's take that first part, the broad part first, about REITs, Real Estate Investment Trust. For those of you who don't know, a real estate investment trust is a portfolio of investment real estate properties. It can be a portfolio of apartments or office buildings or commercial property of some kind, malls, all kinds of different things. So you can buy individual real estate investment trusts, or you can buy a fund of real estate investment trusts. Now, real estate investment trusts tend to be dividend payers, a little bit of capital gains participation, but the whole point of buying most REITs is to generate some income. Now, the idea of buying REIT mutual funds is a great idea. I think it's perfect. Now, the trick is to not pay up, to not pay high expenses for your real estate investment trust mutual fund because you got expenses associated with the underlying REITs and then you'd have expenses with the funds. But the nice thing about the funds is that you get a lot of diversification, which can protect you from bad properties. And the idea of diversifying globally, absolutely awesome. You can do that with Vanguard. And I think that's probably one of the better places to start. So, yeah, absolutely, I would do it. What are the risks? The risks with REITs are both economic. An economy can get into trouble. They could have made mistakes in how they buy the properties. They could you know, just run into a tough patch where they can't rent the things out. The income falls. The valuations fall. You also, when you're investing internationally in REITs, have currency 
exchange risk. Sometimes that's hedged out of portfolios. But there's risk, just like there is buying stocks, although because of the income component, they tend not to be as volatile as stocks. Close, but not as. They're not as stable as bonds by any means, or at least they haven't been in the past. So there are risks involved, and no, they are not an absolute hedge against the fluctuation of stocks. They do tend to move in slightly different patterns, but they're not non-correlating, 100% non-correlating. So don't buy them for that purpose. It's just great. You need them for additional diversification in your portfolio. Real estate is a big part of the global economy, so it makes sense. Again, globally, perfect. The second part of my question is a little more specific to me. I would like your thoughts on something I've been kicking around. I've scored above an 80 on your risk quiz, which causes me issues investing in bonds. What would you think of using a globally diversified fund, such as a ticker symbol REET, which holds hundreds of individual REITs in lieu of bond of investing, since I'm comfortable with the price volatility? Thanks for your time. Well, you are an aggressive investor. You're someone who can take some risk and stand some volatility, apparently. You're not going to need, at this juncture, this point in your life, you don't need much in the way of bond funds. But I wouldn't necessarily up the allocation to real estate either, because real estate funds do not have the, or have not, you know, everything's past tense, have not posted the same kind of returns as have equities, because equities have better growth potential. We get caught up in real estate because we think of our house and, you know, we think about how we leverage, we, we confuse real estate investing with house investing. And because we've gone through a long period of increasing house prices, we look at that money we put down and then we extrapolate out those gains, but that's a leveraged gain. And so it's not a fair comparison. And the REIT funds have not done as well longer term as some of the stock funds. They're a good hedge. Nice for your diversification. REIT is not bad. R-E-E-T, which is a global REIT ETF. But it's strange. This I didn't even realize until I did some checking. The Vanguard real estate mutual fund, it, we tend to prefer open in mutual funds yet. Not 100% convinced as to the ability of REITs to weather really, really volatile markets in the future. Fast, quick, moving, volatile markets. So I'd prefer the open-end products. And Vanguard's real estate index fund has expenses of 0.12%. And Vanguard's global, without the U.S., Vanguard XUS real estate index admiral shares, has expenses of these are both admiral has expenses of one or of 0.14% which makes their expenses actually lower than those for REET and you get an open end product which i just feel a lot more comfortable about they're pretty good funds but either way you're going to do fine it's not a big difference but i just prefer personally to go with open end funds yeah you don't need bonds or much in the way of bonds but don't use real estate as a bond it still behaves somewhat differently. Bonds are great volatility reducers. And if you don't want the volatility reduction or you don't need it, you have the stomach to not have it, then add more to your stock portfolio. As a matter of fact, in this environment, because they've been going down, you should be putting a lot of money into emerging markets. You should be putting money overseas. 
putting money into value, small cap value stocks, they're underperforming. And when everything matches up someday, like it tends to do, you're going to want to put more money into those things that are doing less well. Buy low, sell high. Thanks so much for the call. Really appreciate it. We've got more. Talking real money quick. If you're sick of your self-interested financial advisor and are looking for a 100% fiduciary low-fee investment advisor, call my firm, Vestry, at 800-386-3004 or visit us at vestry.com. How many times have students uttered the phrase, why do I need to learn history? The answer? perspective. There's something in our nature that causes us to give every crisis, no matter how minor, far more emotional weight than it deserves. Most of what's been labeled as a crisis in the recent past rarely rises to the level of being a true threat to the global economy. The Russia crisis in 1998 was followed by the Asia-Russia crisis in the 1990s. Then there was the dot-com crash, 9-11. Seven years later, we had the mortgage crisis, again widely thought to be the precursor of global depression. A few years after that, there was the Eurozone currency crisis, worries about Grexit, and Brexit. What do all of these crises have in common? It turns out, in retrospect, they weren't crises at all. Study history. Those events pale in comparison to the real crises that have occurred throughout human history, the most recent of which ended 73 years ago and left large portions of the planet totally decimated and over 60 million people dead. That is the only true crisis we've had in the past 100 years that had the potential to destroy the economy. Everything else has been noise. The majority of mutual funds profess to possess stock selection and or market timing skills, but the evidence doesn't support it. These money managers fail to tell investors that they exist primarily to enrich themselves at the expense of their clients. The truth about the majority of the investment business is shocking. Did you know that almost half of all actively managed mutual funds go out of business every decade? What happens to the assets of those funds that close down every 10 years? They get merged into the firm's better performing funds, allowing the fund family to effectively hide their poor performance. You'd expect that the half that survive would post market beating performance, but you'd be wrong. Only about 20% of the active funds that make it past 10 years have beaten their benchmarks. That's pretty sad. Chasing active investment managers of any kind is a fool's game that you cannot expect to win. And over the next few days, I will share with you more shocking facts about trying to predict the financial future. Subscribe to free monthly email updates from the only magazine devoted to real investing, Real Investing Journal, at realinvestingjournal.com. Most of the investment industry relies on confusion and obfuscation to keep you coming to them for investment help. They have to know that simply buying a globally diversified portfolio of low-cost passive or index funds has proven to be more effective. But to keep their cushy incomes, they need you to believe they know something they can't possibly know the future. Here are some investing facts about active mutual funds that most of the industry doesn't want you to hear. What percentage of active fund managers have shown evidence of stock-picking skill? Well, according to a pair of long-term university studies, less than 2%. Good luck finding those that might do well in the future, because according to columnist Dan Solon, quote, there is no evidence of persistence in performance beyond what you would expect from random chance, and to try and do so based on past performance is like driving while only looking in your rearview mirror, unquote. Tomorrow, we'll discuss the assertion that active money managers may not do well in bull markets, but you'll need one when prices fall.
no one can consistently and predictably beat the market. Over the past year, less than 15% of active large company growth fund managers beat the S&P 500. They'll argue that the value of active management isn't outperformance in good markets, it's protection when prices fall. Well, studies by both Standard & Poor's and Vanguard showed no basis for that assertion. In fact, the S&P study flat out stated that the argument that active management improves risk-adjusted return performance is, quote, a myth, unquote. About $80 billion a year is wasted on extra fees and expenses for stock pickers and market timers who exhibit no measurable skill. So why do the majority of investors still place their money in actively managed mutual funds? Maybe it's a lack of financial education, overconfidence, or a culture that places the industry's well-being ahead of the customers. Ignore the financial news. Stick to your plan. Understand that no one has the expertise to pick stocks, time the market, or select the next hot fund manager over the long term. Don't confuse luck with skill. If you're sick of your self-interested financial advisor and are looking for a 100% fiduciary low-fee investment advisor, call my firm Vestry at 800-386-3004 or visit us at vestry.com. If you own long-term interest-bearing securities like 20- or 30-year bonds, rising rates could cause big declines in the value of your investments. But those who own shorter-term securities through mutual funds should experience gentler declines and a gradual increase in income as bonds mature and the proceeds are reinvested in new, higher-interest bonds. As for the fear that rising rates will negatively impact stock prices, stocks don't trade in a vacuum. As expectations change, prices adjust in anticipation. One study found that since the S&P 500 was created in 1957, the index has only lost value in two of the 15 periods during which the Federal Reserve raised short-term interest rates. In fact, even though the Fed raised short-term rates from 1% to 1.5% in 2017, the S&P 500 gained about 25% last year. Predicting the future is impossible, and acting on others' predictions has proven dangerous time and time again. Relax, diversify properly, and let the gamblers play with their money, not yours. We're going to wrap up another edition of Talking Real Money Quick very shortly. Remember to give us a call if you have a question at 855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. You can call that number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and we'll have the normal number of podcasts for you next week because we're on live on our station KOMO in Seattle, Como. And we're also working on a lot of new stuff been very busy trying to get the streaming radio station up and running, which is called Real Money Talk Radio at realmoneytalkradio.com or rmtradio.com. Over the past week, I've been uh, traveling back in time. I found a whole bunch of old cassette tapes of my show on Business Radio Network back in the 80s. It was called the Ways and Means Committee. I even found a few from 1988, which was the first year I ever did Money Talk. And what we're going to do is feature some of those as little flashbacks when we have empty periods during the streaming program, when we stream the more up-to-date shows. I'm going to throw in some of those old ones, little bits and pieces of those for your pleasure, and they're hysterical. I was not very good back then. Hey, I was young. I was in my 30s. I thought I was really good. One of the problems we have when we're 30-somethings, we think we know a lot more than we know, but boy, the things I didn't know and the things I still don't know. Plus, we talked to Paul Merriman. Paul Merriman is going to uh, incorporate some of his work 
in Real Money Talk Radio. We've got some old television shows that Tom Cock did back on a PBS station in the Seattle area. There's even an interview on one of those with me from back in the days, back in the early 90s, I believe. So we're going to have a lot of good stuff there. It's not ready yet. It's sort of in a beta version. In other words, we just put a bunch of podcasts up there and let them stream so that people can get used to finding us. But soon it's going to have a real schedule. We've got our our podcast editors really, really working hard. We've got terrific people who edit the podcast, and they are taking 88 or 90 of the old podcasts and re-editing those for streaming radio. So we're working on all this stuff. We're hoping to have it really done and, and ready to listen to with full hours the first of the year, right after the first of the year. But you can check it out right now. You can get a little preview if you go to realmoneytalkradio.com rmtradio.com. Either one of those works. Check it out. Let us know if there's some things you'd like to hear on Real Money Talk Radio. We're going to have 24 hours a day, seven days a week to fill. If there's some other show out there that you think is valuable, we'll contact them and see if they want to put it on. But it's got to fit with what we believe. Sorry, we're not going to put trading shows or timing shows or passive real estate shows or option shows up because those things are all bad for you. We're not going to put stuff up that's bad for you. So check it out, realmoneytalkradio.com. If you have questions about anything, give us a call 24-7-855-935-TALK, 855-935-8255. And have an incredible Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, whatever you have after you first listen to this show. Thanks for being there. I'm Don McDonald. This is Talking Real Money Quick. Realize that the information provided on Talking Real Money is for educational and hopefully enjoyable purposes only. Providing personalized financial planning or investing advice takes time, so please consult with a really good fee-only fiduciary investment, tax, or legal advisor. We know a good one. Investing must always involve risk. In other words, you can and probably will lose money at times. Also, as much as you want it, no one can accurately and consistently predict the future. So past performance doesn't tell you a darn thing about what the future will bring. Unlike many other programs that say something similar, Talking Real Money is not trying to get you to buy or sell any financial products or securities. Instead, the program is provided as a public service by Vestry, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Thanks for listening, and please visit TalkingRealMoney.com for more information and disclosures. Are we done now?